going on, everybody? And uh, thanks for tuning in. So today I am talking with one of my good buddies, Brian Naslin, author of the Dragons of Terror series from Tor Books. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. You know, it's the, the tail end of a Friday, so I'm relaxed. And, and making my way into the weekend, which is always a good feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, been, it's been kind of like an interesting day so far. Like I, I keep expecting just this massive slush pile of emails to happen in the next 50 minutes while we're chatting. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm like cautiously optimistic that it's not going to happen. That everybody's just like yeah. gone ahead and like is done <laughs> for the day. <laughs> but uh, you might just, make it. Yeah. yeah. It's just, this is not how my job goes, unfortunately. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's nice that it's Friday and, Got another weekend of college football, which I know you're not a huge sports fan. I know we've talked about that before. I'm not, yeah, I think we have. Yeah, I'm not. I don't. I don't follow any football very closely, but um, I'm excited for you, though. To have that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I think we talked one time, and uh, you like used to used to run in a sports bar, uh, mm-hmm. and it was just mostly for like the atmosphere and to kind of I guess get out of the house to write. But like you had no interest in actually looking up and seeing like, what was going on. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I would even the only sport that I understand well is baseball, but I don't like follow any teams anymore. So it's almost just a nice like you're going to like take a thinking break from the book and you see a few pitches and then you go back down. But people would come and sit next to me like, hey, what's the score? Like, hey, who's playing? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm ask someone else. <laughs> they're like, how long have you been here? <laughs> like two hours. I don't two know. and a half hours. No idea what's going on. <laughs> What sports? Got a really what sports good curveball, though. <laughs> <laughs> like you could like even like dumb it down even more and just be like, I think it's is it basketball or the, I don't know, I I've got no clue. Yeah, or, or I the, feel like what the penguins sport is probably the what I can answer the best, and even then I might have to like go up and check because it's like a zone out thing and just like catching some kind of like movement or whatever. And um, yeah, that was an important part of my process, but I absorbed nothing. Like, I couldn't even tell you. So I grew up in Baltimore, and I, I liked baseball then, followed it more. I couldn't tell you a single person who's on the Orioles right now. I've just, like, I've lost all track of it. <laughs> well, you know, it it does tend to change, you know, from year to year. And you know, Some seasons, you, you, you keep the same players, but, you know, you, yeah. you end up – because I, I do a lot of fantasy baseball, so I, I kept up with, with, with baseball teams for, for the most part. I haven't done it since COVID just because it's really – really wonky like you'll have players and they have like covid protocol and they're out and you're just like, it's not worth keeping up with yeah it makes sense um, it's not a fun element of the fantasy thing yeah wait he's he's wait he's healthy but he just like had a negative fit. like why can't he play you know he's yeah. he's 50 yards from the next guy in the outfield he'll be fine no <laughs> um but yeah so i you know it but you're fine it there's there's no way you would know anybody now because like I don't think I don't think a single player from like two seasons ago is still on there. So it's all yeah. <laughs> I, I think I did see an article that aren't, aren't the Orioles like one of the worst teams in baseball right now? Probably. Um, I think they, I mean, that's they generally because, are. They have been for a while. Yeah, I feel like I can throw that out without any like I think I saw that they were doing really poorly and that's like usually the case. So I, I got that going for me. That's it. Baltimore Baltimore's struggling right now. Like I mean, even in even in football, I think they've lost like three or four players to like ACL like injuries yeah. in the past couple of days. <laughs> so they've had to like Yikes. scurry to sign two running backs the past two days. Yeah, it's, oh, it's so Baltimore like just it's just not good for sports right now. <laughs> That's, that's fair. Yeah. Well, my heart goes out to my hometown. I'm sorry, Baltimore. Better, better luck next time. There you go. There you go. So um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, I know, I know we know each other, but just for the audience's sake, um, kind of, you know, did you grow up reading? Did you grow up writing? And then uh, kind of like when did the writing bug really hit? Yeah, I, um, it, it's funny. I, I grew up reading fantasy some as, as, Kind of a younger kid and I started out reading like the Arthurian legends and like the actual like not the originals I can't remember the guy who wrote them but like the kind of old English versions of them and I think that I liked the idea of reading them more than I understood them or knew what was going on because I was like pretty little but I, I liked knights and swords and stuff like that and then I switched over there was this YA series um, called The Lost Years of Merlin that I really liked and I can't remember the guy who wrote it. I think he actually lives in Colorado but that was the first like fantasy book that I would kind of, I would look at the map all the time in the beginning of the book before I went to bed and sort of just like, you know, daydream about the world there. He goes on this island full of monsters and stuff like that. So I just really 
really like that. But then I got away from reading fantasy for a long, long time and was doing kind of the English major thing and reading like Ernest Hemingway and Sylvia Plath and stuff like that, which was nice. Um, and then I didn't really get back into fantasy. I didn't, so I didn't really write anything creatively until the last few years of college. And then it was, again, it was kind of like Raymond Carver knockoff stories of like a guy driving home from work with existential dread. And that's the story. That's the whole thing that happens. Um, and mine were, mine were pretty bad. I still have a few that I've gone back and read. And I'm like, oh God, this is, this is pretty rough. Um, and then when I graduated from college, I, I, I started simultaneously writing fantasy and then also reading more of it. And I, I kind of started writing it before I had really begun reading it again. And it was the, the, the first like chapter of Blood of an Exile, the first book in the series I wrote, like the day after college on a whim, I was like, no one's gonna read and grade this story anymore. So I'm gonna write about a hungover dude who has to kill a dragon. And you know, something that I won't like get in trouble for in school. And then kind of a few months later, I was like, all right, if I'm gonna like keep on writing fantasy, I should probably like read a little bit of it. And so I've been reading, um, um, shoot, I'm blanking on his name. Who's the guy who's the showrunner for Game of Thrones? <laughs> Martin. <laughs> no, 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 I know him. It's about, it's about the actual, like, actual yeah. producer. Oh, gosh. Uh... Hold on, I have his book over here. Because this will bother me the whole interview. Yeah, David Benioff, Jesus. Oh, I have a terrible yeah. name recall. But he's actually, <laughs> he's a novelist. And I think he's, he's a pretty good writer. I enjoyed some of his novels. And I'd, like, read them right as I was kind of finishing college. And I was like, all right, want some fantasy stuff. And he, Game of Thrones hadn't started yet, but there was like a footnote in his Wikipedia profile that he was the showrunner for, you know, a thing based off of A Song of Ice and Fire. So I was like, all right, well, I'll see what this is all about. And I'm sure I was kind of picturing like, not very well done 80s sword and sorcery stuff because that was kind of my impression of it. And then obviously it was like a completely different kind of, awe-inspiring world with so many cool things so I feel like that was my my gateway like back into reading tons of fantasy which I feel like was a lot of people's and I still I put the footnote in that I I started reading it before the show came out but it was like a matter of months the show came out I think I was like halfway through reading all the books that were available when when the show came out so I was like just just early enough to, to consider myself an OG fan um and then from there it's like once you're looking for books like that, you realize that there's just tons and tons of awesome authors out there. And so it was just this, you know, just binge of all the kind of modern gritty fantasy that's been out there. And that kind of got me going. I gotcha. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's funny we see now, uh, which I guess maybe, maybe not quite as much as when the show was, was happening, but, you know, a lot of books are like Game of Thrones meets or yeah. something meets game of thrones or you know like even this year i know um js Dewis, her uh last watch was like mm -hmm. the night's watch meets the expanse um which i thought yeah, that was yeah, like I a cooler thing than than game of thrones meets because like you really know what the night's watch is at this point right you know game of thrones can be kind of a little bit of anything depending on you know what season you're in who you're following <laughs> yeah. yeah that's when you know that you've permeated like the zeitgeist is when they don't reference like the book meets this it's like an aspect of the book like one plot line meets this because there's like so much in there that you can reference so yeah it's cool. yeah because you know you jump in game of thrones or you know a book that says game of thrones like it's like this is nothing like it the only thing they have is like multiple povs <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but uh yeah you know and and so i think a lot of people you know like i said you know started reading the game of thrones books when it came out and i, I think that was kind of a a way to get people into fantasy and i think lord of the rings did that as well a lot of people saw the show or the movies and wanted to, to read the books and i think you're gonna have another resurgence kind of like with will time and with the the amazon series for lord of the rings i think you're gonna kind of pull in those ones that maybe fell off of reading and they're gonna get back into it because i was talking to, to mallory coon the other day about you know we both had where we like read a lot through like middle school and high school and then fell off in college and then we had like that one book that kind of brought us back. And then, you know, here we are, she's published a book and I've started this blog and booktube and all that stuff, read all these books. But um, it's, it's really interesting to see how people kind of come into reading, you know, it, I, I try to do it as like a, I recommend stuff that maybe people will pick up and check it out. Uh, and then my way was just like my dad going, read this. And I go, okay. 
actually, this is really good. Why did I stop reading? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it is in a lot of cases, like it's that one book that kind of sparks, sparks it in people. And then you, you realize how many other sparks there are out there. So what was the book that you read that made you kind of want to kick, that got you back? It, into was, it? Uh, it was Wool by Hugh Howie. Um, I've, I've oh, talked yeah. about it a, a few times. Yeah. Um, that in the, uh, in the Martian by Andy Weir, uh, I kind of yeah. read those like back to back. Uh, it was before, you know, the Martian movie came out. Uh, mm-hmm. I think maybe the whole wool trilogy was already out at that point. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, it's like, I just read them like, okay, I, I need more stuff. So it was one of those, like, mm-hmm. if you like this, you'll like this thing on the Amazon did. Uh, which was really helpful in the very beginning and then it just kind of blew up to where now I'm like I I have no time to read all of this stuff <laughs> yeah because I feel like it like at first you're like okay I didn't realize books like this were out there and it's like oh there's another one there's another one then it's like oh there's so many of them that I'll die before I get to read them all um, yeah and then you know then your Kindle has like 200 pages of books and you're like holy crap why did I spend all this money <laughs> <laughs> I literally bought every book that said it's like this. <laughs> right. um, Casting a wide net, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, freaking Amazon, I swear. Um, so, so you said Game of Thrones was kind of like your foray back into it. So, you know, have you, have you kind of kept with your, with your reading of fantasy? I mean, I know they always say, you know, read what you write. Um, so do you still read a ton of fantasy or is, or there, is there other stuff that, you kind of take inspirations from you know video games or even like science fiction or any other genres yeah i feel like like as i was working on blood of an exile i was reading a ton of fantasy and you know you get introduced to joe abercrombie and scott lynch and and kind of all those main guys and a lot of them there, there were so many books already out so as i was meandering through writing blood of an exile i was reading tons and tons of fantasy and then once i was kind of under contract for um for the trilogy, I stopped reading pretty much everything except my own drafts over and over and over again. Um, Cause I'm a very inefficient writer. So there's huge amounts of like rewriting and rereading. So for years, it was like a full stop. And I remember, I think, I think it might be Joe Abercrombie. Like he gets asked, you know, what books do you recommend? What are you reading? And he's always like, I don't read anything anymore. Like, sorry, it's disappoint. And I, I didn't understand it at the time. And then I sort of understand it a little bit more now. Um, but now that this contract's over, I've sort of gotten back into into some casual reading, which has been nice. And I feel like I've done some fantasy. I have dipped into sci-fi some. I actually just read um, um, Andy Weir's new thing, Hail Mary, which was really good. Um, yeah, it was. Um, and I have a tendency to read samples of things, enjoy the sample, and then kind of move on with my life and forget about it. And that was one where like, I read the sample, I was like, this is really good. And then like remembered it like a month. I was like, why didn't I actually just finish, finish that book? So. Um, I enjoyed that. I've been actually dipping into thrillers a little bit. Um, I've been reading some Tana French novels, which are sort of these Irish like detective novels. Um, that it's sort of like a nice palate cleanser. I spent so much time like putting people in the woods with swords and campfires and this, you know, most of them take place in Dublin and it's this like modern crime thing. So that's been just like fun to sort of read something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's what I do every now and then. I'll you know I, I'm I'm very heavily fantasy oriented as far as my reads go, um, mm-hmm. and then you know it's a little bit science fiction depending on you know, just kind of timing. Uh, yeah. But I'll like I could I could listen to like a thriller or two a day like in mm-hmm. audio form because you know it's it's one of those you can you can kind of do anything while it's going and you really won't miss a beat. Um, whereas in like fantasy or science fiction, especially like kind of like a sprawling epic, you know, if you kind of daze for (laughs) like five minutes, you're like, holy crap, I just missed like this massive change. Um, I I find myself like having to rewind and and go back through. Um, but something to be said for like a, like a simple thriller plot where, you know, kind of whoever the protagonist is just working through, some kind of linear issue um and yeah i i, I find comfort in that now after so yeah. many multiple povs world spanning things and all yeah that. yeah and you know and and they're generally you know i don't know six to ten hours i guess depending on right. as far as an audiobook goes and and i usually you know listen to it about half that time uh i've just I've just gotten to the point where like two is too slow <laughs> <laughs> so I'm at like two and a half and uh it's and I'm like I, I do understand what's going on um but yeah it's yeah. it's it's just nice because you you focus on like one person sometimes two people and you're really just trying to figure out like what happens at the end 
Um, okay. And so a lot of it's just kind of the build up to that, uh, you know, the existential dread. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, like sometimes there's a twist halfway through. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I've, I've just, I've, I've found some, some days, like if, if fantasy is just not doing it for me and I just kind of keep finding myself zoning out, I'm like, all right, do I have a, do I have a thriller I can just throw in and kind of get me through yeah. the day? Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and generally I do, cause there's, there's a lot of thriller novels out there. <laughs> yeah. One thing I found too, and I've heard a few, I might like recall of like any kind of names is really bad, but I, I've kind of like done a few thrillers where I guess it, it's so with fantasy when I read other people's fantasy and I was like, oh, I bet that they're doing this with this character to set up something like this. And I'm like a lot more analytical in terms of like where I think it's leading up to. And I kind of have predictions on not necessarily plot twists, but just like where I think it's going to go. Sometimes I'm wrong, but I'm usually like at least on track. But with thrillers, I just take it at face value. So when there's a twist, I'm like, oh my God, that was so cool. Cause I just, I'm not, not trying to figure it out. I'm just like along for the ride. And that's been, that's been really fun to get surprised by stuff that probably almost everyone else saw coming and I'm like a kid who saw a magic trick for the first time I'm like oh my god that was so cool <laughs> yeah you know I, I think I think it became a little jaded watching like a lot of special victims unit like growing up like a lot of law and order and so it was yeah. always like trying to figure out what happened and you know I, I say the same thing with like my reading uh because when I first really got back into it after uh, you know, doing doing wool and the Martian. I started doing beta reading, and so I was picking picking out proofreading and stuff like that. And I always like find myself going, "Oh crap! Why can't why can't they fix that in the final draft?" And like it really <laughs> takes me out of the read. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's you know with, with SVU is always like, okay, it's definitely not them because it's it's too easy, you know. Right. <laughs> so, so I find I find myself doing that. Not every time with with thrillers, but a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. But there are some authors that it doesn't matter. Like I am always caught off guard. Uh, yeah. it, it blows me away. Like I read, um, or listened to the, the Last House of Needless Street by Ketron Award um, mm-hmm. earlier this year, uh, which comes out in a couple of weeks. And it's it's one of those that you know you have no idea, and it just you know, slaps you in the side of the face at the end right. of it. Um, or behind her eyes um, by Sarah Pinborough. Um, that one was another one, um, which you know I I didn't read the book, but I watched the show. I, I assume it's similar, um, but it was kind of like mind blowing at the end. Uh, but yeah, I I, I I was I was enjoy a good twist that you know I'm just like oh I gotta gotta sit back for a second and really take it in. <laughs> yeah, it's like a rare feeling to get like surprised by stuff sometimes um so it's really it's really cool when it happens and i think it's only with fantasy that i'm like an analytical person who's trying to figure stuff out i take movies and shows and stuff like at face value and um um we've been watching um the white lotus on hbo which Mm. it it starts with um i guess it's not a spoiler because it's like the like it's the opening thing so as soon as you start the series you know but it's kind of like a vacation thing in hawaii and it's sort of like i guess a cozy thriller but they introduce the idea that someone dies at the end because there's like a coffin being loaded onto the plane and it's like sort of the end of the trip and then it flashes back. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, that's the like opening scene. We watched the whole first episode and people I was watching were just like, so who do you think died? And I had, it hadn't even occurred to me to try to think of who died. I was like, well, they'll tell us who died later on in the show. I'm not going to. I'm not going to make any inquiries in that in my head. I'm just like watching it scene by scene. And, and I don't know, it's a... I think that I enjoy things more because I get surprised, but you know, who knows? <laughs> no, I, no, I agree. I like, I wish, I wish I could just turn my brain off sometimes and just mm-hmm. enjoy something, but you know, <laughs> I think it, I, I blame my dad a little bit. I, I'm one of those that I'll be watching a show or a movie and they go, Oh my gosh, that guy, you know, you know, that guy, I don't know his name. And like, he was in that <laughs> show and I have to like go on IMDb and like figure it out. And I figure out like their entire life story. And it's just ridiculous. And I go, why can't, you just watch it and then maybe figure it out afterwards yeah, you know, exactly. it, it, it takes a lot longer to do that and like yeah. i'll lose enjoyment um well, it's funny you mentioned that i feel like maybe the reason i stopped doing it i remember i watched lost in college and you know me and my roommate i think it was like the first season was already out but we hadn't seen it and then it was like second and third so all through college we were watching lost and we would definitely like get onto the forums and like try to think about like what this means and what's going on and the further you get into lost the more you realize how useless of a, of a strat of like an exercise that is because it's just like the writers i don't think knew what was going on so it was just like well it's a waste of time to predict what's going to happen so maybe that was it where i was just like this is useless 
I'm just going to let the show tell me I'm, I'm no longer making predictions of any kind. So loss broke me. Um, that was the last time that I was like super into trying to like put the pieces together. <laughs> I just need to adopt that strategy, you know, just like, just let it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just lay back. <laughs> don't, don't, don't think about it too much. Um, so as far as, um, as far as like your, your inspirations for, for writing your series, um, I, you know, I know, I know you said you, Martin and the show, you know, Game of Thrones show and so forth, like, and the showrunner got you kind of back into reading, but, you know, who, who kind of like, I guess, was your inspiration to go, I really want to write a fantasy story. And I really want to write a fantasy story about dragons uh, because dragons are awesome. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. So I, I kind of started that initial premise on a whim, just dude, I do with a hangover has to go kill a dragon, but I didn't, I think I wrote what became the first chapter. Yeah. Like maybe a day or two after college, but then I, I didn't continue on with it. I kind of took a three or four year hiatus where I was reading a lot of fantasy, but just wasn't writing anything. I was trying to like scrounge a career out of having an English degree, which, you know, took a, took a hot minute. And then the reason I started writing again was because I had this really long bus commute and we got stuck in a snowstorm. So I just all of a sudden had like six hours on my hands, maybe not six, but it was a really long, the bus driver was like, I hope you guys have water and food because we're not getting to our destination anytime soon. Um, and I had my laptop, so I like fired it up and started writing again. But I think by that time I'd been, I think I'd read everything that Joe Abercrombie had written. And I think that it was, his his stories are very different from mine, but I think that he, showed me that you can one have like a pretty long action sequence that on its like head is pretty straightforward but has a lot of almost like character development inside of it if that makes sense and so i was wanting to explore that kind of thing the sort of like low level like intimacy around small groups of people like traveling through the wilderness and having like adventures and stuff like that so i feel like that was kind of my you know, I wrote the initial thing without any idea how to write the rest of the novel. And then when I came back to it, I was like, this is the kind of thing I want to write where it's this group of people and you're just constantly throwing stones at them and making their life harder and harder as, as things go along. Um, and I think that that was really kind of like, I, I'm not a big plotter. I'm not like, I didn't have a, a huge plan for it. I kind of just started picking away at it, like one bus ride at a time. And then the other kind of piece of it was that I wanted to, in so much as you can have a realistic book with dragons in it, like try to adhere to that rule. And so that kind of grew, that's how the whole, there's a big ecological aspect to my books where dragons are apex predators. And in some areas they've been overhunted, which has kind of had the, caused the whole ecosystem to fall apart. And so that was my other kind of linchpin with the story of like pulling on that thread as much as possible of like, if dragons were real, like what would the world actually look like with them in it? And I feel like that was really what kind of kept me going. That and just having so much time on my hands every morning and evening as I was going home from work. And it, it took a long time because I wasn't I wasn't in a rush. I like sort of knew how it was going down, but I was trying to, you know, vacation and little side things as it came up. So it took me four or five years, something like that, to, to actually get the thing, you know, written and, and redrafted a little bit. And then, you know, my kind of vision of what was going on was way different from start to finish, just because I started with, with very few constraints around myself and, mm. you know, just kind of went from there. I gotcha. Yeah, that, that, you know, that take on like, you know, what would it, what would life be like with dragons? I, I, I always think, you know, just, just because like it was massive when I was a kid and that was like the only thing I did was, was Pokemon. So like, I always think mm-hmm. about like, you know, what would it be like, you know, like fighting forest fires with like all of these water type, <laughs> 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 you know, like what if like we could just send like all these squirrels to Colorado, like to fight back forest fires. <laughs> <laughs> it would, they would be an asset for sure. A lot of problems will be solved. I feel like. <laughs> The, the the nerd of me just coming out man it it doesn't take yeah. much <laughs> <laughs> the nerd's got to unite you know i know right um yeah it's like <laughs> mallory and i were talking yesterday about being like like the coolest uncool kids like growing up and i was like that's that's part of me that that's what it was and I, I always wanted to dress up as ash ketchum when i was when it was halloween and that was mm-hmm. that was it so Oh geez. Um, so speaking <laughs> speaking of like you know how how you you know started your draft and how you ended it and how things were 
you know, one way and they ended up a different way and you know, your redrafts and rewrites and stuff. Um, how has your process changed, I guess, since Blood and Exile um, to now, you know, having published your third book of the series? Um, you know, has it changed? Have you have you kind of figured out what works for you and what doesn't at this point? Or, you know, did, did you like try things and they didn't work and now they do work? <laughs> I think it's definitely changed. And writing under a deadline is very different from writing casually on a bus. Um, and there was definitely a freedom of, you know, on the bus ride. I'd write a scene that I knew was bad and wrong or like, you know, just sort of like a world breaking thing. And I would just do it and then I'd carry on with my day. And once you're under under a deadline, that freedom goes away a little bit. And if you write a scene that you know is screwed up and that's just time that you had, like you you can't just move on with your life. You, you have to eventually fix it. Um, and I tried outlining more carefully and it, it didn't work very well for me in the second book or the third art, like, arguably it worked a little bit better, but the second one was my shot at like, you know, kind of a beat by beat outline. And, and I got, you know, halfway or maybe three quarters of the way through it of like, a, you know, a pretty rough draft, but trying to get it out and rewrote the entire thing. I was like, this is not working. Um, and I can't remember, it's been not so long, but just so many drafts, I think. So in the second book, a contingent of the main characters go to this island that's sort of very mysterious and remote and it's kind of unclear what what's going to happen to them there. The first draft didn't have that, like a completely different thing happened. And then I basically scrapped it. And so, yeah, outlining while I tried it didn't work particularly well. And I still kind of had this chaotic way of writing, um, but I wrote way more and, and at it, like I would write every day and I would write for, you know, three or four hours in the morning and two or three hours in the afternoon. So it kind of like what I lacked in planning, I made up in just like pure output. <laughs> Um, and that one kind of got done that way. And then the third one was easier in a different process in some ways, because I kind of did a, you know, kind of book one and two is the characters getting further and further away from each other. And then I was kind of cognizant to bring them all back mm -hmm. in book three to a, to a more confined area. So like kind of book two ends with a lot of people in one place and this, you know, big problem they have to deal with. And so that it's not so much that it like I outlined better, but you, I had fewer options to go screw up somewhere else. So I feel like book three probably got written. I wouldn't say it was the easy. It's hard to say which one was easier or harder, but I feel like I had a much clearer path and it was a lot more refining of like, all right, this is going to happen, but let me just change a few of the like stakes or a few of the, um, the goals versus like, I'm just going to have them go in a completely different direction. So, you know, I, I like to think that I had gotten, you know, better at just writing a fantasy novel in a compressed period of time by the third book, but in some ways I was helped out by the fact that I had just way fewer options and it has to end too. So like, you're, you're not, a, you're not able to just go off and make some, some crazy mistake of plotting because, you know, the, the curtain is coming and so <laughs> you can't you can't dawdle too too much it's, it's got to end somewhere it can't like like end on a cliffhanger <laughs> exactly i didn't want to blow up the word count either um you know they're all the the i think um sorcerer of a queen and fury of a demon are a little bit longer than blood of an exile but not by like crazy origin magnitude they're all about the same length i didn't want to like doorstop the the third book and you know kind of write five books in disguise of, of writing three kind of thing so I, yeah. I tried to keep it pretty pretty slim I gotcha how, how did slim your <laughs> yeah <laughs> how did you um or I guess how did your writing change with the pandemic because clearly you, know, you weren't you weren't doing your commute every day like you were um, you know, I assume you were working, you know, writing a lot at home. You know, did it change the way in which you wrote? Did you find it easier? Did you find it more difficult? Because um, I know, you know, when we when we first talked before Blood and Exile came out, you know, like that was like your thing. Like you got on the bus, you did you did your scene or two scenes, and like it was just kind of a just a daily thing, and you and you got it done. But now you're kind of having to change your routine a little bit. Um, did, like, like I said, did you find it more difficult? Did you find it easier? Did you, did it grow on you? Yeah, I feel like it wound up not being a crazy, crazy adjustment. Cause yeah, my routine was kind of like, you know, right on the bus. And then I would go to um, a sports bar in the afternoon, kind of late afternoon and do the rest of it there. And that obviously all got blown up by the pandemic. And I feel like I 
What I wound up doing, and I feel like it makes me sound like a much more proactive person than I actually am. So I would, I would just like do the morning writing, but I would, you know, wake up really early, um, exercise. I would do burpees until I thought that I was going to throw up, and then I would take a freezing cold shower. And it was, I don't even, I can't really explain why I started doing that. I think it was just to have something happen to me before I was like sitting in front of a computer trying to write. And the one nice thing about the bus ride is that I would like bike to the bus, you know, walk and like kind of get on it. You're like, you're kind of moving around a little bit. Like stuff happens to you before you're just sitting there being like, all right, what happens to these people today? Mm. And like doing kind of like shocking the system in the morning really helped me. And then I would go for a walk between like finishing my day job and starting to write in the afternoon. And that was super helpful too. kind of just like give it a little bit of space and kind of think about what I was going to work on in that scene, but not like super directly, just letting it kind of marinate or whatever. And then I, that, that routine worked pretty well for me overall. That, that's kind of how the bulk of like Fury of a Demon got written. That was very much a pandemic book. I think I had like, a pretty, pretty rough incomplete draft when kind of COVID came down. So I, I wrote most of it, you know, in lockdown fear stuff. And it was, in some ways it was helpful to have a space to go to that wasn't, you know, watching the stock market crash and all these people lose their lives and all this uncertainty. And there was uncertainty in the book too, obviously, but it was sort of a, um, in some ways just a welcome escape to just be outside of this increasingly frightening experience that we were all going through yeah yeah i can imagine um mm. but burpees really burpees <laughs> i remember doing no, it was like, it's like, it's like the fastest way to feel like you're gonna die <laughs> i don't know if it's healthy because you know burpees and bear crawls that was that was mm. like the uh this freaking killed me Ugh. yeah yeah i don't know if it was the greatest thing is, you know, you jack up your heart rate and then like take a freezing cold shower. I feel like it's probably bad for you. Like, like I didn't have a heart attack or something while I was doing it, but. It's just like go ahead and have like the life alert button, like in your shower. Yeah, <laughs> this might be a, this one burpee. Too this, this literally might be the end. I think I need it. It's like, oh, damn it. I'm going to die in a shower. <laughs> I haven't even finished my book. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, <avenge> me. <laughs> exactly so let's go ahead and talk about your series so um dragons of tira so i'm just going to go ahead and we're going to take a minute we're going to go ahead and show all the covers so these are the uk covers uh but we've got blood ne- blood of an exile which is book one um just just a just a lovely beautiful book uh and then of course we've got book two which is sorcerer queen which they decided to go gold on this one uh so uh which which is even even sweeter uh and then of course yeah and then of course we've got the final installment, which is Fury of a Demon. So tell the audience a little bit uh, about the series itself, uh, kind of like up to this point in the series, and then we'll talk about Fury. Yeah, let's see here. Um, I guess so, but the elevator pitch I always start with is that if you like um, dragons and Wolverine from the comic books, that you should check the book out because it's basically answered the question of what happens if you take a really grumpy version of Wolverine and force him to become a dragon slayer against his will? And that's kind of the, the premise. And basically this is a world where dragons are everywhere. Like I was saying, they're kind of apex predators. And you know, some countries have managed to, you know, eradicate them essentially. And other countries are kind of like, you know, the dragons own it and everyone else is just renting. Like it's very much, you know, a problem that any day you could just get scooped up by a dragon and killed. So the you know, the main character, Silas Bershad, is a dragon slayer. And um, the custom in that country is basically, you know, if you're a criminal and convicted of a crime, sometimes half for fun and half to prolong your punishment, they'll make you become a dragon slayer. So they mark your face with these tattoos and you just have to keep on trying to kill dragons until you die, which for most people takes like one or two times. Like to survive one dragon slaying attempt is, is pretty rare. And Silas Brashad, the main character, has been doing this for 14 years. All right, I think around 14 years. <laughs> it starts to get hazy for me. Um, I haven't done a, a, a summary of the first one in, in quite a while, actually. Um, so the reason he's been able to do that is, you know, at the start of the series, mysterious to both him and, and the world, but he's become this sort of 
you know, folklore hero who the king hates him because the king thought he was going to be dead 14 years ago and, you know, sort of the commoners love him and he kind of hates himself and everyone. He's this very jaded, jaded character. Um, and so in the first one, he, he winds up uh, being sent on this sort of country spanning um, quest by um, his former girlfriend and current um, queen of one country to uh, rescue a, a, a princess and, and assassinate an emperor. And it's always hard to like sum up a series without giving some kind of, you know, spoilers along the way. But I think it's like things I, I can I can say in the first book, they have some successes and they have some failures, but they're not kind of done yet. And I think a lot of their successes have unforeseen consequences. So a lot of the second book is um, dealing with those consequences in one form or another. And a lot of kind of, you know, smaller characters in the first book, kind of their roles get fleshed out and they they wind up, you know, like I was saying, everyone kind of scatters in different directions for the second book. And we we hit this kind of apex point at the end of it. And Fury of a Demon is a lot about, you know, a lot of characters who have never met each other are now, you know, in the same spot on opposing sides of this pretty crazy war. Um, and Fury of a Demon is really about resolving that war in, in, in one form or another. Which, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I w- I would agree that Brashad is uh, a little bit, a little bit of a grump. <laughs> I think um, so I said he's um, uh, cantankerous, which I feel like is a <laughs> word I would never use in my books, but it, it that that fits him pretty well, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's it, it is interesting. So what what made you? I guess add the addition of, of kind of like the ecological deal with the dragons. Um, you know, because a lot a lot of books that you read, you know, dragons are just kind of there and generally they're not useful. I mean, some some books, you know, people can ride them, some books they're companions, and but most books like they're just kind of like they're killing people and like you <laughs> just have somebody that needs to deal with it. So what what made you I guess have that additional um i guess interest or intrigue into the story about adding that ecological uh, facet yeah i think i i knew about um the concept of trophic cascades which is the idea that apex predators play like a much bigger role in their environment than it may seem from this documentary about yellowstone the wolves of uh, the wolves of yellowstone and it was basically a study of that like you know the wolves of yellowstone park got basically killed or moved out of it. And they started seeing this degradation of the ecology, you know, the, you know, um, herbivores got to eat too much because they weren't sort of stressed out looking for prey. And that led to erosion and just sort of all all sorts of like miniature problems, not miniature, but kind of like um, problems that you wouldn't think would happen just because wolves are gone, basically, you know, these streams are now like overrun with erosion and trees are kind of getting washed out and stuff like that. So that, I knew about that concept very lightly. And then I think really the thing that sparked it is that I had this other character, Ashlyn, who's the other kind of main character of the series um, besides Pilas Prashad. And she is like the only like environmental activist who exists in the world. Um, she's a very lonely kind of eco warrior. And having her in there, she's sort of, she has a very scientific um, mind and those two things sort of worked in tandem, like her kind of being someone who would realize that kind of thing is going on and then realizing that there's a lot of room to pull on that thread too. And so with those two things combined, I sort of really dug into it pretty far. Um, and dragons are just cool. I remember my agent when she you know, said she wanted to represent me, she's like, so I need to, you know, I need to read, I'm gonna give you notes, but it's gonna take me, you know, a few weeks, maybe a month. So while, you're waiting, you should do an appendix of all the dragons that you um, that you mentioned in the story. And I think she meant for me to take like a day or two. And I took like the entire month to work on the appendix because I just, like, I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, but once like someone told me to like, you know, think about their size and think about, you know, how, what their habitat is and their behaviors and how they, you know, you know, breed and like get their food and stuff like that. I just like went down so many Wikipedia holes of how different animals do that and was just sort of jamming all the animal facts I'd ever encountered in my life into into these dragons. So I think that that was probably it too. I just got really carried away with trying to envision like, you know, how much diversity you'd have with with dragons and stuff like that. And Colorado is actually where I live now. 
um, has a lot of um, different types of birds because there's so much different elevation. So you've got like, you know, those super high altitude mountains and kind of everything in between. So just being out here and seeing all the different kind of birds that are around, it was sort of the spotter for like, all right, I'm going to do a dragon for that bird and that bird and that bird. And then, <laughs> And I, I had to cut a lot out of the appendix. I feel like I sent it to my agent. She was like, this is good, but this is like, a like you need to cut this down by 75%. This is really long. <laughs> Just like so. create like a, like, a, like a dragon catching guide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or a dragon watching guide. There you go. Yeah. So you base them on birds. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And you, you like try to figure out like what the best like feed for different dragons is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I feel like there, it was in there where it was like very granular. Like, I don't know if I had like type of food they eat at certain times of year, but I was like approaching that level. Oh my gosh. Um, and it's hard because, like, you know, I was so excited that, you know, she wanted to represent me and she gave me this task. And then, like, you know, it's just an open ended month. So I like, there was no, I just couldn't stop. I just kept on going. I'm curious, have you read, um, which I haven't read this series, but uh, is it A History of Dragons by Marie Brennan? Have you, have you read that series? I haven't. I'm, I'm aware of it. It's in, the, it's in my realm, you know, of the dragon thing. It looks really cool, but yeah, I haven't had a chance to read it. And I, just... I actually haven't read too, too much stuff with dragons in it since the, since the deal went through, almost on purpose, just because it's not so much that I like. I wanted to make sure kind of whatever dragon thing I was doing was going to be coming like just from me instead of from some cool thing that I read. So I, was I, gonna I probably... you just started reading books. You're like, oh my gosh, that's really cool. I need to use that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it goes both ways. It's either like you see something that's really cool and like you wind up kind of like using it without realizing you're using it or it's too late. You see a really cool thing. It's like, ah, I should have done something like that. So it's like envy or kind of like being being influenced when you don't really realize i probably should do that i should go back and read all the like awesome dragon books that have come out that that i kind of like passed over on purpose and it's probably like the next five years of my reading life because right. there's so many good <laughs> books but um so uh so what are you what are you working on now um you know you we've, we've got the we've got the finished trilogy mm-hmm. um you know just and just released last week and congratulations again on the on the finished trilogy um so uh so what's what's next in the books yeah, I'm in one of the situations. <laughs> in one of the situations where it's um, it's all pretty preliminary, which makes it secret by nature of like it could all change. So I can give a pitch of something I'm working on, and then if you know if it comes out later on in life, it like bears no no resemblance <laughs> to it. Um, it. It's fantasy though, and there's sort of a few different different irons in the fire, and some are more preliminary than others. Um, but I feel like it's safe to say there's you know gonna you know read as fantasy and there's going to be swords and you know foul language and stuff involved um but it's been fun recently so i kind of have one project that's pretty well fleshed out and kind of making the rounds and the powers that be and then after that it's i find it very easy to write the first ten thousand words of a book they're not good words but it's sort of just like that just goes pretty quickly so i've been in this phase of kind of like window shopping all these different I have like 10,000 words of like seven or eight different ideas and um I think because I don't have to be pinned down on anything quite yet I'm, I'm almost not even trying to go further than that um and they're all probably bad but I, I what I'm doing kind of right now is just like vacationing in these little premises um and I feel like what happens to me a lot with that even is that none of them on their own are really enough to make a book but if i kind of just keep on trying different things eventually like three of them will kind of fit together into something it's like okay like all these actually can belong in the same world and Mm -hmm. um and see where it goes but it's fun because you can um i feel like i did an interview last week and i said this and it happened again today where i wrote a scene this morning that was just terrible it's completely unusable um, but it doesn't matter. I'm just going to carry on with my day and I don't have to stress about it. I'll have a nice weekend. So I'm trying to enjoy that period of time for, for as long as it's made available to me. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. Uh, and then the last question I got for you, what, uh, what have you, what have you read recently? Or are you reading anything right now that you'd recommend? Yeah, I have the book that I just started that is sort of, it came out recently, The Coward. Um, I don't know if the shot sun is shining off of that too much to be able oh, you're to good. see it. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um and yeah actually home the first line is hilarious um i was kind of perusing a bookstore um i'm gonna read it because why not so kel crescia slayer of the ice lich and savior of the five kingdoms tripped on a rake and fell into a pile of horse shit 
Um, so that's just like, that had me from, from first line. I love that kind of stuff. Um, there's so much like world building in it mixed with like humor and a pile of shit. And there's tons of piles of shits in my book. So <laughs> um, for better or for worse, I've, I've had comments of like, you have to have like feces in your book so much. Um, yes, yes, you have to. <laughs> like unfortunately I do. Yeah, in Fury of the Demon, there's actually, um, there's a scene where they're going through the jungle and it's a very dragon infested part of it. And there's just massive piles of dragon shit. And I was um, kind of in, I was pulling from in Jurassic Park when there's that huge pile of Triceratops crap in um, like before everything goes terribly. So I was like, screw it. I mean, dragons, everybody poops, including dragons and they're going to be pretty big. So anyway. <laughs> you know, I, I always think back to that scene. Uh, I think it's in season two it may be in season, I think it's in season two of Game of Thrones, where, um, uh, oh my gosh, I am blanking on names, the, the head Lannister, the father, where he rides, Tywin, in, Tywin Lannister, Tywin, where he rides into the, the hall, and he's on a horse, it's right after they've defeated Stannis uh, in the Blackwater, mm-hmm. and he's riding on the horse, but like the scene starts out with the horse dropping a deuce, like right as he's walking in, and yes, goes, I remember is that. that necessary, but like, it happens like horses just do that <laughs> yeah, horses are always pooping and like i'm yeah, wondering like, like like was that was that is that how that happened or like did like just film it like that's perfect let's, let's just use it <laughs> yeah i wonder too if yeah it's, it's like everything else was perfect and they just couldn't get that horse to stop crapping during like the good takes and they're like all right this is costing like a thousand dollars a minute for all of us to be here, so <laughs> just just run it <laughs> right just, we'll just run with it if anybody says anything don't worry about it yeah, yeah. And, and you know, of course, then you have like all the miscues in the last season, like where they had like the Starbucks cup like on the table and stuff. Like you kind of like wonder, like, is that just like a gimmick thing, like get people to not realize like how rushed the season was? <laughs> yeah, I was I wonder about that Starbucks cup. I mean, I can see where like things just get so complicated that what seems easy, which is to make sure there are no Starbucks cups in the scene, actually becomes very difficult. And like when you hear about the there was, a, there was a book kind of like, it was like a behind the scenes, not quite a making of Game of Thrones. It was a journalist who'd been almost like embedded in it um, from day one. And there was just so many issues. It was so complicated and the budgets were so tight and there was like terrible weather all the time. And it's sort of like, if, you've, if you're about to do this massive scene and like it just rains for 19 days straight, like that is an extremely problematic thing to deal with from like a production standpoint. So mm. I, that, that was, I can't remember the name of that book either. I wish I had perfect recall, like a and <laughs> character, but I, I do not, but it was really interesting. And it's sort of like, from like day one, everything was extremely difficult. So I, I'll forgive them the Starbucks cup. Some <laughs> of the plotting things I have less forgiveness for because that's, that's more of a writing issue, but. Um, yeah, I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing a little bit of the, a uh, little bit of a rewatch just because like, I'm going back through the books, which uh, like I, dude, I'm still struggling through a piece of piece for crows. Like I, struggling so hard through that book like mm-hmm. i love to storm of swords and like this one like it's, i just keep setting it aside every time like mm-hmm. i think about picking it up um because it just just nothing happens it's yeah. all brienne and how ugly she is it's literally like the whole book <laughs> and like yeah, all these characters like- that like they just didn't even use in the show like all these right. characters like they have they have all these just random chapters and I, th- I think it's one of those like this one was the one i think that had like the longest in between i think three and four i think yeah and it was, like, I think the it was big, like a big letdown or whatever um mm-hmm. so i'm really hoping dance gets better but i i've been told it doesn't so i guess we'll just see yeah it's um, but, so I'm, but i'm going ahead and re-watching the show just mm-hmm. to see like okay was it as bad as i thought it was at the end or like did I just buy into the not hype that everybody was giving it? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, it, and I think there's, cause you know, I was reading, I guess, I guess the dance with the dragons was like, I kind of read straight through everything from there. And then I had to wait quite a while too, not nearly as long. I like maybe a year or two. And just sort of the fact that I had to wait so long, I, I think I took off work and just read it, you know, day of day of release um, and burned through it that way. But it, it's also so hard to come from, like the unputable unputable down effect of like for me the first three books and especially like the third one where I was you know I was like with my family on a holiday we were all supposed to be like going into Christmas dinner I was like no this is the battle of the Blackwater I will see you guys later like I didn't know what (laughs) happens here and like keeping that level of like tension on on from every chapter I think is 
you know hard hard to match um, yeah. for for anyone yeah. right yeah because i mean you, you you have the battle you've got the red wedding i mean it's all yeah, there exactly. and then yeah. like you get to you get to feast and you're like can can something happen maybe yeah, <laughs> all these exactly. people are just like kind of talking and like <laughs> riding on horses like that's really <laughs> yeah a lot of stews and stuff like that so yeah, yeah a, lot of, just the, like, a lot of stews <laughs> yeah the, the pacing like slows slows down from there but, for sure um, i'll always love those books um, one way or another yeah definitely um well brian uh i appreciate you taking the time to uh to, to come chat with me um again congratulations on the finished trilogy um it's it's a phenomenal trilogy uh i know uh jason's got a couple of reviews coming up for for i guess he's doing the whole series like read right now uh so definitely be looking for for some for more some more reviews to come out and i know neil just uh posted his review of fury i guess last week um mm-hmm. so that that's pretty awesome but uh best of luck in all of your what did you say seven or eight <laughs> potential My seven or eight samplings. potential ten thousand yeah. k samplings um <laughs> and uh you know we'll, we'll have to, we'll definitely have to do this again you know once once i guess you get the big news of the next uh of the next series so yeah definitely always always fun to chat with you absolutely man well uh enjoy your weekend and we'll talk soon well, you too thanks